All right, hey folks, it's Faz from Faz Lifts, and today's episode is called The Ballad of Life's Losers. <laughs> this is kind of a kind of a dark-ish episode and almost a look into a dystopian view of someone's future and kind of how they get there. So <clears throat> you know those people you see who are kind of walking around at like 6 a.m. and they look like they're in a rush, but they also look like they're on crack, right? <laughs> sort of talking to themselves, lighting up a cigarette. And you sort of wonder, how did they get like that, you know? Or you see somebody online who's written a bunch of hate speech and you sort of wonder, how did the events of their life lead them up to that point that on a Wednesday afternoon they were going to be typing furiously to some internet celebrity and writing reams and reams and paragraphs about how much they hate that person and what they were going to do with them. You wonder, you wonder how did, so let's say this guy's this imaginary person is called John. You do wonder how, <laughs> how, how John went from John, went from sort of little Johnny boy who would play ball on the street to John, his final form, which was this abomination. I, I don't <laughs> Maybe you guys don't wonder this. I wonder these things. I wonder like where, do these, are these, these people aren't born weird, surely. So uh, I wonder, anyway. But anyway, today's story is about that. So um, today's story begins a couple of months ago, I was invited to a local school because I'm a business owner and they wanted a range of business owners, about 20 or 30, to show up and do sort of mock interviews with the, uh, the year 11s, so the 16-year-olds. So I went there for the morning <clears throat> alongside 30 other professionals from the local area and we all uh, sort of got sat down had the old, all the niceties out the way. And when it got down to it, we were uh, assigned sort of a few students to talk to. So over the course of the morning, I talked to three students. Um, the first student was uh, this young girl, very well-spoken, um, very sort of um, coherent, <laughs> which is the first thing that struck me because I, I remember talking to her and afterwards thinking to myself, I'm sure I was not that coherent at 16 years old. I think I was probably mumbling stuff about computer games and and whatnot, but I, I wasn't that coherent. She was, you know, very um, very intelligent, knew exactly what she wanted to do with the future and just very focused. But on top of that, not sort of arrogant or conceited, but actually quite pleasant to talk to. So, you know, for a 16-year-old. So I thought that was interesting. Second kid came along, tall gangly kid and uh, he was a, a wannabe basketball player but also he had a firm understanding of I think engineering he wanted to do when he was older so again another guy with a lot of um, passion for life for sport for education again very impressive just a 16 year old kid and uh, I remember thinking wow this is this is amazing these 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 kids are so well put together um, and then, then, as if the universe recognized that, to balance it out, <laughs> the third kid um, came and sat down. 
So this kid, we talked for a while and I remember specifically at the beginning of the interview, just like I did with the other three, I gave them some advice, sort of like, say, look, this is how to do a good interview, you know. So relax, be yourself, make eye contact, good posture, um, be confident with your answers, um, be forthcoming, but don't be afraid to take your time to think. And it doesn't really matter what your answer is, as long as you can reason it out and it makes sense. So if I ask you a question, then just ensure you have a reasonable answer. You know, all the basic stuff you would think of, very, very, very basic stuff that you might tell a 16-year-old going for their first interview, okay? And um, I remember with this third kid <laughs> having to stop an additional three times because one, like one of the times I asked him a question and he just said, I, I don't know. <laughs> so I said that, so I stopped, I stopped the interview. Sort of, I did that thing, you know, you do when you're an adult and you, you kind of stop the play and you go, okay, just stop. And like, you start to talk as a whisper. You're right. Can I give you some advice here? <laughs> so I said, look, just take your time. I'm not in a rush for an answer. Just take your time. I says, okay, great. Right. Back to interview mode. Right. So I <laughs> went back to it. And um, yeah, he sat there and he, he, he sort of, he still didn't have an answer and he didn't really want to give one. So I said, okay, fair enough. And so then I moved on to the next question. So I had to mark him down for that because he, he had no answer. So uh, I moved on to, and, and more than more than having no answer, he didn't really feel, he didn't really make an effort to come up with something which he could justify. And so then we <laughs> went on to the next question. This was the most amusing question for me because I asked him a question and he came back to me and said the question was wrong. <laughs> so I can just imagine how that would go down in a company. Can you imagine? If you were going for an interview and the interviewer asking you a question and so he 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 was trying to say the question was the same as the question i had asked uh, previously but it wasn't and so you can imagine how that would go over because simultaneously it would look like one you're calling the interviewer an idiot <laughs> and two you simultaneously didn't actually understand the question because it was distinctly different from the first question. So <laughs> you're sort of, you're, you're painting yourself to be a little bit rude. You're trying to make out the interviewer is dumb, <laughs> but embedded within all that is your own stupidity because you've actually misunderstood the question and you've been so arrogant in that belief. So I just thought the whole thing was incredible. So I said, I explained to him again, I did that whole thing again. The all right, let's just pause the interview. Okay, right. Whisper him to him. Like this is what it means. Like this is why it's different from question one. And he's like, oh, right. Okay, cool. So, okay, great. So, <laughs> and I and I said, you know, in a real interview, it's okay if you. It'll be preferable if you ask them to rephrase the question rather than just telling them, look, that's the same question as what you asked me five minutes ago. That's probably not the case. So. Okay, okay, right, great. Back to the interview, great. And so he's all right, actually, so he answered the question. All right, so, um, but anyway, we got to talking, and as through the, uh, through the conversation, I was asking about his grades and stuff like that. And um, he said he was on for a fairly low grade. So I think it was like a D or a C or something, whatever is the equivalent is now. Because nowadays in England, they use numbers. And so um, I remember asking him, I said, how do you feel about the grades? Because 
I mean, I don't judge, whatever. Like, but um, I said, how do you feel about getting, you know, a C or a D? He says, well, it's a pass. I said, okay. I was like, do you feel you could do more? And he says, yeah. I mean, if I revise for it, I could get a B or an A. And my my teachers think I can get a B. I says, oh, okay. So why don't you want to? He says, oh, that'd just be effort. I can, I'd be, and I said, so, so I asked him the question. I said, what would make you happier? Would make you happier trying and getting a B or an A, or would make you happier to be, to not try and get a C and possibly less? Fully expecting him to say, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I was fully expecting him to say, yeah, I would be happy to try and actually get, obtain the right grade and obtain a better grade, you know, an actual re real grade, not just an imaginary, like, this is what Miss thinks I should get. And he came back immediately with, yeah, it would make me ha a lot happier if I didn't try and I still just barely passed. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. But um, the conversation sort of wound down at that point because we, we talked a little bit more. I just found it very incredible. And um, so anyway, I, I didn't want to push it because it was not really my business, but I just found the attitude quite interesting. This idea that early in life, he was quite happy to coast, even though he, he knew that he could do better. Now, I find the idea interesting because I know guys like that. And the interesting thing is, when you're young, like if you guys who are listening to this who are maybe, you know, early... Um, like late teens, early 20s, you might still have this attitude, or, may, or maybe not, um, that the intellect you currently are and where you rank in the, in the hierarchy of intellect between you and your friends is where you'll stay. There's a belief, because you're quite young, you don't have the experience of time and actually putting a large amount of sort of effort into something, um, you, you've basically seen yourself over the last 20 years continue to improve at roughly the same rate as your peers, right? I think most people would agree. Like, if you remember at school, the clever kids who started off clever, they generally ended clever. The sporty kids generally ended sporty. There was some variance, but in general, that's how it went. So you think that's a description of the hierarchy of life. And then when life happens, <laughs> you realize that's not true at all. And in fact, it's almost the opposite sometimes. The, uh, the really cool kids, the cool kids at school, end up being just really broken when they're older. And the kids at school who didn't try and be too cool actually end up doing very well for themselves and having good, good lives. And in the grand scheme of things, the first 16 to 18 years of your life really doesn't hold a candle to the remaining 50 to 70 years, right? But because you're young, you think it does. So I found it interesting, the contradiction of this kid, because he thought, he thought inheritance beliefs was that at any point he could just switch it on and he'd do better. So let's say he just ruined his GCSEs, but he could switch it on at A-level, or if not that, he could switch it on at his job, or university or apprenticeship and that was inherent in his belief and I think that's his mistake now obviously I wasn't sat there lecturing him because it's not my position to do so and I didn't have any interest in doing that but just here on the podcast I think that is something that I've seen time and time again 
this inherent belief that the skills, the intellect that you're naturally born with is what you're going to continue to be good at over the course of your life and, and stay in that sort of hierarchical way of thinking. And it, it's a very childish point of view because when you are actually involved in the world of work, like many of you people listening to this will be professionals and you know how hard you've worked to get to the position you're in. You know the level of training you've done. You know the number of Monday morning meetings which you didn't want to attend, you had to go to, all the work functions, all the training seminars, all the hours putting into perfecting your craft. You know all that. And a lot of times, all of that is done just to retain the hierarchy of where you are relative to your peers. So as you grow, your peers grow. But you're further away ahead than you were 10 years ago. So let's say you start a job at 20. At 30, you'll, be, you'll, you'll have gone through maybe two or three promotions if you're lucky and some pay increases and all that. And so will your friends. But you've all worked damn hard to get to that point. Now, imagine if you had just stood still. Well, you'd still be that 20-year-old and you'd be way far behind. And, you know, we all see it. We, uh, we're in the workplace in our 30s and a new guy comes into the office. He's a trainee and you, you watch him operate <laughs> and everything seems so inefficient, you know? Like for him, he's working as hard as he can, but everything seems so inefficient. And I saw this when I was teaching. I mean, once you've taught for 10 years or so, you you become very good at the preparation side of things, which is generally what you struggle with when you first approach teaching. You just become a lot better at things. But a, a lot of that is hard slog in your profession every single day. And if you're not doing that, if you're not learning, you're not really getting better. And this applies, I think, to any profession, whatever you're doing, whether, you, whether you're working even in a factory, doing whatever, there's nothing wrong with working in a factory, but some modern factories are tremendously technical now and you get lead roles and warehouse operatives and all kinds of other things which lead into other roles. So there's a progression. But I think inherent in this belief, and this is the key crux of the um, podcast today, is this belief that your these talents you're naturally born with will persist throughout life because it leads into some dangerous thinking. The first of which is, as I've explained, you think that you can just switch it on at any time. So let's say this kid's currently 16. Say when he's 25, let's say he wants to go out and get a good job. Or let's say he sees his friends and his peers doing well for themselves, driving around in good cars, meeting with the right people, doing the right things, going on the right holidays, having money to do these things. He thinks to himself, okay, now's the time I'm going to switch it on. Unfortunately, nothing happens because he goes to the job center, realizes he has no CV, gets massively frustrated. And then the second thing happens. <clears throat> he starts to look on social media and probably this, these types, they probably spend a lot of time on social media. So he starts to look on social media and starts to see all the things his friends are doing. So starts to see his friends who are estate agents, his friends who are doctors, medical professionals, perhaps even his friends who have put a lot of time and invested a lot of time into a hobby, like lifting weights. And then this second thing happens. They start to think because of their inherent belief in the hierarchy of things from school, they start to believe they could do it better. 
That's the second thing that happens. So the first thing is they assume the hierarchy will remain the same forever. Like I was the best, most sporty kid in school. I was also very popular with the ladies. That will continue to be the same throughout my life because that is who I am. And so they get onto social media 10 years later when everyone's moved on and has been working their asses off to move on. And they think I could do better than them. Because if I put my mind to that activity, I could do better. If I put my mind to lifting weights better than that guy, I could do better. If I put my mind to this professional thing, I could do better. And they continuously think that. And somewhere in the back of their heads, the daily slog of being who they are, that is not having the right job, not having the money they want, and not being given basically the respect in life. The third thing happens, and that is they become bitter. And I think that's where it leads. And it's through that process. One, two, three. Before you know it, you're bitter and you're angry. And I think that's the worst position to be in. Because if you're bitter and angry, you've already been through the stages of firstly, ruining your life. And then secondly, looking around, getting jealous. And also coming up with a realization that actually you've, you've wasted yourself. And then thirdly, you're bitter because time's ticking. And your opportunities are gone. And more than likely, you have very real responsibilities, which mean you can't fulfill your potential anymore. And also, learning is hard when you're older, um, especially if you're not used to learning, especially if you don't have a track record of learning. I, I think one of the things which is very important to, to understand is learning is a skill as much as it is. It's, it's an actual activity you have to do. You have to put time into it. So the kid whose parents have drilled into him, it's normal to study two hours after school every day, is going to be a lot better off than the kid whose parents just let him play out immediately after school because he's already developed a standard for what it takes. That kid is always going to be further along. So where we're at is this person gets bitter. And uh, I actually ran into one of these guys recently. So there's this guy who, who I know. I actually know he's a, a guy from my hometown. And um, he messaged me one day out of the blue a few weeks ago. And he had some issue with, my, um, with one of my training videos. And so he had some sort of question about my form. And at the time, I'm, see, I'm quite used to answering questions. So the way he worded it was quite sneaky. So he worded it in a way like he was asking a question like he wanted information. So I replied back and I said, this is why I explained exactly what I was doing and, and why I was doing it. And so he immediately snapped back and saying, well, that's wrong. You shouldn't do it that way. It doesn't make sense. And I was like, okay, so here we are. <laughs> All right, here we are. And so we went back and forth for a little while. And then I went on to his page because I follow him, but I don't look at his stuff. I, I rarely look at anyone's. And so what, what I saw really made me laugh is on his page, he's really proud of these partial squats. Like he does quarter squats. It's the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. It's his quarter squats where the spotter is also helping him. <laughs> so I was like, holy crap, this is the guy who's giving me stick about my form. No, I'm not perfect by any means, but my form is pretty good. So I messaged him back and I said, look, I find it quite amusing 
that you know you're digging my form when I had a look at your page and it's all a mess. And so that really dug deep and like really got him. And I thought, I mean, I, you know, it is what it is. Um, but it really dug into the heart of him and he got really offended by that. And uh, actually, for, I, I, I basically put him on, um, like, uh, I restricted his account, so I can't see his messages. But pretty much every day for the next week, he messaged me, and it was all, like, really spiteful, hateful comments. He's a grown man. The, the, he messaged me. <laughs> the first time he messaged me was actually a Sunday afternoon. And I, th- I remember being sat there thinking, surely he has better things to do at this time. So I, I ended the conversation pretty quickly, but... He, he messaged me every single day for a, for a week straight to my DMs with all really kind of hateful messages. So I had really dug into him. And it was, all, it was all about, like, you've said that about my form. What about this? It was all about that. So he obviously placed a lot of attention, a lot of self-pride onto his lifting. And I think this is where it comes from. And this is the Ballad of Life's Losers. The Ballad of Life's Losers is this idea that is this is this idea that this is an area where he feels he's an authority and he feels this is something where he gets a lot of pride from so much pride that he's going to people online other grown men on a sunday afternoon messaging them in getting their dms and trying to correct their form trying to sort of get a win as it were so i'm expecting he wanted me to say something like oh thanks for pointing that out really appreciate it then he can feel good about himself. Like, yes, I'm an authority figure. I have given some advice to Faz. Okay, because who the fuck is Faz, right? It's not like I've been doing this competitive sports person thing for 20 years or coaching for six. Like, who the fuck is Faz? I'm better than Faz because I'm some random fucking hobo. <laughs> um, so I think that's his idea. So he can take a lot of pride from that, I imagine. But when he didn't get the answer he was expecting, and I actually pointed out that his exercise form was horrendous. He got very offended. And I think that's something to bear in mind. I think that's, that is the Ballad of Life's Losers. He demonstrated very clearly he was bitter. And I think that r- the reason it struck into the heart of him so much is because he knows in that instant, he knows and the one thing that he does take a lot of pride in, which is his lifting, he knows he's fallen behind in that as well, to somebody he considers to be not as knowledgeable somehow. And it's been pointed out to him, it's been highlighted, where he feels like he wants some kudos from me, he wants some like recognition, he wants all that stuff. Um, it's been thrown back in his face. And I imagine he probably gets a lot of kudos from other people, like maybe other people give him a lot of compliments, say, hey, you know, you're really strong, fantastic, all that stuff. Maybe because they, you know, maybe because they feel sorry for him. I don't know. But he probably takes a lot of that very seriously. He takes it so seriously, he now thinks he is an authority when he's clearly not. And then when his authority is challenged, he's, because he puts himself out there and he, he wants to dish it out, but he can't really take it, he gets very offended. And I think all of that is built on a very fragile ego, an ego that built on a fragile ego, like an ego that really deep down knows that he's wasted his potential but maybe wants to savor or salvage something 
from his wasted potential. And I think that's a horrible place to be in. But anyway, just to get out of that story, I think that's a pretty horrible place to be in. I, I couldn't imagine having to live that every day of my life. Like I had that much potential, I thought, in one endeavor and in most things in life, and I absolutely ruined them. And I'm now, you know, um, whatever he is, late 20s, maybe early 30s, picking fights with random men on the internet. It's, um, it must be a very sad existence. But um, I guess if there's a lesson for today, I think there's a lot of value to trying. I don't think I've ever regretted trying my hardest at something. I think, you know, there's been times where I've had to mediate myself to make sure I don't get burnt out, but I've never regretted giving something the old college try and thinking to myself, you know, I, I, I did well. I, did, I, I, I gave it my all. I think the only regrets I have is probably when I've, when I've not put my all in. And there's not many of those in life. I think there's, there's possibly some where I, I feel like maybe I should have zigged when I zagged. But apart from that, you know, I feel like I've approached most endeavors that I want to with a smile on my face, with confidence, and tried my hardest to fit things in rather than just have the inactivity and laziness and then lies to cover up my lack of trying, which I think leads to this bitterness. You sort of build up a false facade of, of who you think you are, and then it gets shattered by reality. And I think that's very, very painful for people. Uh, I'm glad that I've never done that before. I'm glad that I've always been very realistic about myself, who I am, what I've achieved, and so I can be secure. I'm not saying I don't have my insecurities, of course, but but I think if you if you try your best at certain things, it at least gives you the confidence to know you've tried. Maybe not the confidence to know you're the best in that field or you're where you want to be, but at least the confidence to know you gave it your all. Um, and you, there's very few things where you can be bitter about that. But um, yeah, well, anyway, um, I guess that was, was a weird episode for me. I think it was kind of a cathartic episode because um, despite, despite that... Um, yeah, despite that being quite easy to sort of logically rationalize, I think it did have an effect on me Effect on me, over the next sort of week or two. Like I thought about it a lot. I just thought about this really aggressive person and me being their, the sort of the object of their anger for so long. Um, so it, it was a weird feeling because I'm not used to dealing with people like that on a day-to-day -day basis. Like that level of sort of degeneracy um, it's not people I, I tend to associate with that much, that level of sort of bitterness and anger. It's, I, I mean, how many people would do? I guess it's probably not a very pleasant person to be around. Um, so it was shocking that it landed in my DMs. But I, I thought to myself, this is probably more and more of what I have to deal with as my social media presence goes. For you guys who know me personally, I know one or two of my personal friends and family do, do listen to this. You know I don't personally enjoy social media anymore. I don't like it, um, but I do it for the business. But the more I open myself up to these things, the more you kind of become sheltered. I mean, this, to be honest, guys, this is a topic I talk about for another half an hour. This whole idea, I won't do because I'll save it for another episode, but just this whole idea that um, putting yourself out there as a social media type of person, putting content out there, it can be very stressful. I mean, it's, yeah, and it's easy to say, you know, just toughen up, but... Um, 
mental health is important. You know, you have to you have to take care of your own mental health, and sometimes it becomes harder and harder to deal with everyone's little message because some of them can be little digs. And after I understand, I completely understand why people block um, people like that on social media because you kind of have to protect your mental space. You have to protect your mental health um, because it's you versus potentially thousands of these comments which may well be negative or poking or just being unreasonable with your time. Um, we'll go into that on in another day, but I think it's, I find a lot more, I place a lot more importance on just taking care of my mental health when I'm out there because I think that's, it's crucial to allow you to stay in a good mental space to produce more content. I think you have to be quite ruthless with how you cut people or cut people out of your social media, potentially out of your life. And it's for, it's for these reasons, for these types of people who I've sort of talked about in um, in this podcast, the, the absolute sort of gutter losers of society who have every chance to interact with you who's trying to do something productive and trying to move your life forward. It's, it's that contradiction. Whereas in reality, like actually on the street, you probably would never speak. So two different worlds. Anyway, I'll call it there, folks, and I'll speak to you guys soon.